Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this Thursday episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. So good to be with you here. I missed you yesterday. Missed you yesterday as uh, Brigham Young University Cougars were playing men's basketball against Pepperdine. But I'm back here today. I read a book recently. It's called, write this down. We're gonna, there are some themes in this book that, uh, that I read here recently that are going to come up over the next little while here on this program. The book, uh, written by a gentleman named Timothy Carney, is titled Alienated America. Alienated America, why, while, why some places thrive while others collapse. And what, what the book discusses in large part, is some of the characteristics between uh, communities and people and states and parts of this country that do very, very well, where uh, people are healthy, they live long, they have good, secure, strong jobs. And the attempt or the effort on the part of this author, Timothy Carney, is to uh, somehow discern exactly why that's the case. Why is it that some parts of the nation thrive and why uh, do some have challenges? And one of the larger takeaways in this book, through his observations, the author, Mr. Carney, uh, is that places that have good, strong senses of community are the places where there is great success and where there is, well, success measured in terms of employment and longevity of life, quite literally, strong communities lead to those uh, lead to people with longer lifespans and higher education and uh, better success for the next generation, a higher likelihood that our children and our descendants will be better off than we were. And the reason I bring all this up is because it struck me that I might be, uh, I may have fallen a little bit short in participating in my community. There is something called a third place, a third place. And when communities have a third place to gather, that all is much better than elsewhere. Third place, what does that mean? Well, first place is our home. Second place is our workplace. The third place is church. The third place is the library where people get together for uh, meetings. The third place is the diner on Main Street where everyone gets together on Saturday morning to break bread and talk about some town gossip and learn about one another's needs and find ways to, to be stronger together. Those are some of the natural outcomes of this third place. One of the unfortunate realities of 2020 was that due to our 
you know, need to, you know, safeguard ourselves against the spread of the coronavirus, our experiences in that third place were significantly curtailed, sometimes by law, sometimes by law. And as we start to look back on our experience in 2020, some of those realities led to great negative consequences. Our inability to uh, interact with those from our community has been a serious negative. And it has not done well for our collective well-being. How do we protect that? Specifically, how do we protect our ability to gather together to worship and see our family? Well, uh, there's a lawmaker on Utah's Capitol Hill that has taken on this issue and has a piece of legislation, uh, HB 184, the Protection of Personal and Religious Liberty. I view that as an effort to safeguard that third place, aside from our home, aside from the workplace, the great value that exists in the third place, I believe, uh, attempts to be protected here in this legislation. And Representative Corey Malloy joins us now. Representative, sir, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, Lee. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Yeah. Uh, t- tell me tell me the objective of this legislation. We're talking about uh, your, your bill, the Protection of Personal and Religious Liberty, HB 184. W- what are your objectives here? Well, the objective is to do exactly what you're talking about, and that's to protect that third place. And uh, one of the things that we have learned over this past year is there's just so many unknowns, and a lot of things, a lot of things happen, uh, things move, uh, all in the effort to protect our people and protect our society. And one of those things, as you pointed out, is that we've had to curtail a lot of our daily activities, uh, and including our church. And so what this bill does is it allows uh, churches to stay open without uh, the government coming in and forcing them to be closed. Now, I, I do like to say that uh, all the churches here in Utah, they did it on their own accord, which is great. They took the recommendations of our health department from the, the uh, governor's office, from the CDC, all the sources they knew, they took those recommendations, and then they did the right thing to protect their congregations. So, so just for, for clarity, a, for clarity, you, your legislation wouldn't compel uh, these you know, various religious organizations to, to do anything to stay open, uh, but rather it would prohibit the, the government from uh, compelling them to close. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I think that's the way it should be. And uh, so it wasn't a problem here in Utah but we just want to make sure that it doesn't because we did see this issue arise in several places across the country. I, I'm very slow to engage in like whataboutism type debate. But in this instance, I can't help but think of the Las Vegas example where uh, casinos for a time were able to stay open while at the same time uh, places of worship were closed and shuttered. This, this luckily, uh, you know, if this were to go through, would, uh, would prevent anything like that happening here. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And we also, you know, we want to make sure that people who uh, are in locations where they have to restrict or even shut down access to their uh, religious leaders have access to that. I mean, I can't think of anything worse than someone who uh, is locked up, and locked up's not the right word, but, you know, in place uh, where they can't leave, they can't have people come in, and then they need that spiritual guidance or even rights uh, uh, re- religious rights of some kind and can't get those because they're not allowed to come into the facility. So, you know, that, those are the two main things that the bill does is just make sure that those religious rights are protected, even 
in the difficult times that we may face now and in the future as it relates to pandemics. I'll say it. I've had interactions, you know, through the glass at the nursing home, you know, trying to make uh, a phone call work and trying to interact. And they, they are locked in there. Uh, you know, they're, they're yeah. locked in there uh, alone. Yeah. And, you know, we're not able to go see family members. And as you point out in your legislation, not able to, uh, you know, interact very naturally and, you know, calmly and uh, comfortably with religious leaders. Uh, I, I understand the, the reasoning of this here. Uh, listen, yeah. we just uh, have a minute left here. How are things looking on the horizon? Is this going to make it th- through? you have support sufficient to, to get this to the governor's desk? Um, well, I think we can get it there. I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can. There are some discussions going on, so we may have to tweak it a little bit. Uh, we just want to make sure that we have all the bases covered so that we keep our society uh, protected, while at the same time, uh, allowing these religious protections to move forward and allow, allow people to make sure that they have those. Very good. Uh, Representative Corey Malloy, uh, I'm grateful to you for uh, your work and your conversation and your uh, your conversation here about this bill. Thank you, Kazan. Thanks, Lee. All right, we're going to take a break right now. When we return, we're going to continue our focus on the goings-on up on Utah's Capitol Hill. As you well know, we've spoken to him here on this program a number of times. Representative Walt Brooks is working on a constitutional carry bill here for the state of Utah. It would effectively do away with the need for a concealed carry permit here in Utah. But what does that mean for our relationships with other states? Reciprocity is what I'm getting at. We'll speak with the bill sponsor next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Going back to that conversation we had just before the break with Representative Corey Malloy talking about uh, his piece of legislation uh, for religious liberty and personal liberty, there was a texter who wrote in and said, this is a solution looking for a problem. No, I don't think that's the case. I think that we are very lucky here and have been very lucky uh, that, that the places of worship took the proactive step to, uh, you know, put in place certain safeguards to protect the uh, community against the spread of this coronavirus. Uh, but, but think about your own family. Think about uh, those who are maybe elderly, who have been living in assisted care facilities or nursing homes, and you have had to go visit them uh, and stare through the glass. And, you know, that's not, that's not a substitute for uh, good, earnest, affectionate, face-to-face conversation. The type of communication that they have come to uh, rely on for their well-being after how many decades of life. This addresses that. This is not a solution looking for a problem. There is a problem at hand. And how to address it safely, uh, this piece of legislation is a step towards doing so. All right. Uh, There's another piece of legislation that Representative Malloy has uh, dealing with concealed carry. Uh, And in fact, that's what uh, got this topic uh, top of mind. Uh, Concealed carry firearms amendments is a piece of legislation, essentially the effort here in the state of Utah to bring about constitutional carry. Uh, This one sponsored by Representative Walt Brooks, who joins me now. Representative Brooks, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Hey, uh, we didn't get a chance to speak yesterday. There have been some developments with your piece of legislation. Where do things stand now? So it's passed um, the House, both committee and the floor, and it's on its way to the Senate. Outstanding. Uh, Much opposition uh, in those two steps along the way? 
Um, not really. I mean, people have concerns, and I think those are very valid, and we're trying to address all those um, to make sure that we have a good, safe policy going forward, and I think we've accomplished that. Outstanding. Uh, so next step, <clears throat> Senate, you confident about how things stand there? I am. You know, we talked to a lot of the senators. They've looked through the data as well, and it looks like we have um, – you know, the, them understanding what the situation is and, and have positive votes there. Now, the the data. Talk to me about those conversations. What, what exactly do you look at? Do you look at the experience uh, in other states which have uh, you know essentially dropped the re- requirement for a concealed carry permit, relying uh, solely on the Constitution? Uh, what kind of data are you looking at? Um, there has been a lot of studies done on this. I mean, a, a lot of studies from unbiased people. One is Dr. Lott who's a renowned economist to study this, and this mostly back in the early 2000s. And a lot of states saw that data and so that it was um, not raising um, gun violence or even gun incidents, so they'd moved forward. And now we, since that time, we've had 10-plus years of seeing, okay, these states that – I think it was like over 10 states that have um, adopted this – I call it permitless carry mm-hmm. – that what has been their behavior, what has been their experience, and – they had the same exact results. And just last year, I, well, I guess it's in 2019, um, there was a, a, a Dr. Hamill out of New York. He was a, a NYPD officer for five years, went back to medical school. Now he's a trauma surgeon. And he wrote a, a, a really extensive um, study that looked over 30 years of information because his whole thing was he's, he got the viewpoint of an officer being on the street with people packing or not packing and and um, accidents and suicides, all, all of that together. He goes, we're trying to reduce crime and incidents that go through the, the hospital. And he says, basically, if you're trying to put legislation or rules into place to, to make places feel safer, put your efforts somewhere else because requiring a consultation permit is not helping. And we have those 19 states that you talked about that have the exact same experience. Now, we, we know that um, training and all those things are, are extremely important. So we've put into the bill opportunities to make training more ubiquitous throughout the street, the, the state, excuse me. And we're working with another legislator, uh, Rex Ship out of Cedar City, to do more of that. We, we really want to address this problem, but I don't think you need the government to make you do something for you to do it. I believe that Utahns are good, responsible people, and they have to take accountability for their actions if they get training or not. So people do. So I, I, think, I think this will be a good policy for Utah. Utah for for many, many years has been a very attractive concealed carry permit to acquire, and it's Mm -hmm. available to folks outside the state. Uh, That's one thing that makes it, uh, well, (laughs) the Bureau of Criminal Identification is a very busy office, as you, I'm sure, well know. (laughs) And uh, and one of the features of that, uh, or one of the the realities of the permit here in Utah, is that we enjoy reciprocal relationships with so many other states. What will be the, what will be the situation for a Utah concealed carry permit in the future? First off, will a permit for, issued by Utah still be available? And what does this potentially do to our reciprocal relationships with other states? So, And that's a great question, and I've been asked that a lot. It does nothing with the concealed weapon permit or its process. So if you want a permit still, you can still get a permit. Because of that reciprocity, is so valuable, and we, we're close. Like I live down in southern Utah, which is close to Arizona, Nevada. You know, we have a lot of people up here that go to Wyoming and Colorado, who all in Idaho, they all accept are part of that reciprocity. So it's extremely value. And, and I don't think people realize either. The reason why so many other people get it is because it's kind of easy to get. Um, really, you can watch a four-hour class online and be in New Jersey and get it. So 
we have about 240,000, I think, um, permits in the state and over 500,000 outside the state from citizens live outside here. So we, there, we don't expect any attrition from people, excuse me, people getting permits. In fact, when I, when I looked at the data on some other states talking about what the happens with the permits, it's true that some of the permits have gone down, but the class attendance has not. Mm. And I'm like, this is complete evident of when law-abiding citizens are going to do something, they're going to make sure that they're, they know and are accountable. It's, it's just the bottom line. That's what law-abiding citizens do. And Kansas is one of the few states that actually track that. And one of the um, gun shop owners there that teaches the, the course, he said since they went permitless carry, his um, request for teaching classes had gone through the roof. And yeah. I think that's what you will see. That's fascinating. Uh, I, I, uh, I wouldn't have predicted that, uh, but I am encouraged to learn that. Uh, what about other states? Are there, are, like Nevada, I know, has a, kind of a back-and-forth history in terms of our uh, reciprocating relationship with them. A- any other states expressing concern or anything about like that? Oh, none, none of them. In fact, um, this, this um, concealed carry um, legislation is not alone. We have 10 other additional states that are looking to do that this year. And there's been some that actually changed. So like Idaho, it used to be you had to be 21 or older. Because they've seen for the last few years that there's been no increase, they've actually lowered the age to 18. Montana, it used to be you could have concealed um, carry outside of city limits. And since they've seen no increase, they've now just passed it. Like I think it's just over a week ago, they passed it through their house to allow permitless carry through the entire state. So even states that had some minor um, stipulations on it, even they are seeing that in their own state that it's not having the, the problems that people are concerned about or worried about, which, you know, it's legitimate, um, that they're not seeing those results. And so they're even moving it further beyond. Well, one last quick question. Time is very tight. Uh, should you have your way? This makes it all the way to the governor's office. Uh, they're acquiring his signature. Uh, when does this take effect? Well, I, most of, uh, we follow the same legislative rules that we have to. Um, so after the session, I believe there's a 60 day window and then it takes effect. Typically, is where the bills go. All right. Uh, very good. Representative Walt Brooks uh, working on a permitless carry piece of legislation, constitutional carry, as it's called by some. Uh, sir, thank you for your time. Thanks for explaining these information. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Good day. Uh, quick break. When we return, we're going to look back 35 years. Today, the 35th anniversary of the Challenger explosion. We're going to look at the details and what have we learned since. Next on Lock Mike, I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.